Welcome to episode 42 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patsy the Exuberant Nerd, and I am here, as always, with my cohorts, my partners in crime, my co-conspirators, co-conuts, the people what I do the podcast with. Uh, Those people have names, and one of their names is Agent Nicole, uh, who you might remember from last week's show uh, about Agent Carter, not the president, or the basketball coach, or the guy from Mars, a different one. Uh, She is ironborn, she is four and a half feet tall, and filled with rage. She is our very own Agent Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) That's your cue to talk. I hate you. (laughs) (sighs) We have also here uh, with us is the lady that lives at my house. Uh, She likes to uh, whine and uh, play with cats. And build blanket forts in the living room. She is the mistress of Merlot and the real housewife of Pennsylvania. She is Ashes von Nachtmare. I don't even think I've ever been to Pennsylvania, to be honest with you. I went last year. We're going in a couple weeks. This is true. We are. I'll be able to uh, fix that. I'm mm-hmm. too busy picking the yogurt-covered raisin pieces out of your trail mix. Yeah, right. This is the only good part. No, these things are all chewy, too. See, um. I like wine in all forms. Liquid form, non-liquid form. <laughs> this is this is like... The natural like, form. <laughs> I think grapes are more like the larval stage of wine. Exactly. The The, the wine egg hatches and becomes wine. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I wasn't so good at biology. No, but one of don't these days, I'm going to make it to a wine stomping. Which is uh, different I from would... weasel stomping. Don't get those two confused because it's very tragic and the ASPCA people are very upset with it. Every me. time I, I think of wine stomping, I think of that episode of, of I, I Love Lucy. Lucy. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, that's one of my like bucket list. I want to go stomp because you're in a giant bucket when you stomp on wine. Oh, I didn't mean that as punny. I mean yeah. that as like, you know, things on my well, list of was, shit I that I want to do. I thought it was punderful. No. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad that my words get the patsy seal of approval. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I'm going to eat this raisin now. Okay. Uh, we are also joined by the hardest working man in podcasting. Uh, he is... Uh, <clears throat> According to Agent Nicole, uh, the most bootylicious man on the Grand Guignol <laughs> Network, and that's including Dynamo Myers. Uh, he is, you know, our our good friend, our the guy who makes us sound better than we should. He is Johnny Wolfenstein. Are you sure you're not the only one who keeps saying? I haven't even said. I've only said it once that he was bootylicious. You keep bringing it up. I think it's all you. You just said it again. I'm sorry, are you new? Patsy likes to beat a dead horse. I know. <coughs> sorry, my voice uh, changed there for a second. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Uh, I don't know that I'm the hardest working man in podcasting. That's all. That's I, there's definitely people that work harder than me. Yeah, somebody else hosts Trick or Treat Radio. That's true. That is a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nailing Jello to a tree. <laughs> I've tried that before. Not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Not easy. So I appreciate that. Well, uh, you know, we appreciate everything that that you do. The hardest working man in Castle Wolfenstein. I'll take that. Yeah, that's. I'll give you that. I don't know the uh, the downstairs <laughs> occupants. I'm sure they work hard. <laughs> well, I, I also don't think they call Castle Wolfenstein. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. So, what we are talking about today? We are talking about the greatest comic strip in the history of the universe. And if you said something other than Calvin and Hobbes, you're wrong. Uh, but that's okay. You can be entitled to your opinion. You know, there are many, many fantastic comic strips out there. Um, you know, Get Fuzzy is a great one. I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Foxtrot. Um, the Far Side, of course. Um, Garfield. Yes, there are peanuts in that trail mix. No, but but the um, other peanuts. Uh, Blondie. Um, yeah, that's kind of like a brownie, but like not the same. Pearls before swine. Yeah, Stefan Passis is very talented, and he uses a lot of puns in his stuff, so I really like him. Um, but today we are talking about the best comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, which uh, ran from 1985 to 1995. But before we get into that, we have a uh, an interesting topic of conversation. Ashes, this was actually your idea, so why don't you uh, let the folks at home know what our our topic is like for our pre discussion discussion. So our our getting into character section. Yeah. Uh, so today, because we're talking about Calvin and Hobbes, and Hobbes is Calvin's imaginary, ultimately his imaginary friend. You know, he may, pretends that. Or he believes that, you know, his stuffed tiger comes to life. We're talking imagination and imaginary friends and imaginary stuffed animals. So, Agent Nicole, when you, growing up, did you happen to have, like, any imaginary friends or... They were my Barbies. <laughs> they were my imaginary friends. Yeah. Um, I can't... I feel like I don't remember much of my childhood when it comes to, like, imaginary play, which is really sad. I think it's because I probably had a concussion in high school, so, like, I, like, miss half of, like, my childhood. But I used to do a lot of, oh, God, pretend play when I was a kid, so a lot of, like, dressing up and Barbies. But I did have a stuffed animal that always came, came along with me. It looked like Bar- Barney, but it wasn't really Barney. It was Bernie the dinosaur. Yeah, it was a dinosaur, a purple dinosaur, but it wasn't Barney. And instead of instead of the "I love you" song, he sang the "I tolerate you" song. Yeah, basically. You and I have a relationship, Ray. No, no. no. In every way. No, stop. I'm not going to start singing the Barney song. Let's just be embarrassed. I'm singing the Bernie the dinosaur song. <laughs> Everybody gets free college and free health care. 
damn, that would have been nice. Now, um, I, I don't know. I wasn't very creative back then. I don't know. I, I think you were. Yeah, it's. It's See, you, you say that it's because you have a concussion. Those are false memories implanted by Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because I hit my head on a playground beam because my friends and I decided to go sneak out to Hastings um, Hastings Elementary School and played in the playground at night and I smacked my head. Nope, that's too hard. <laughs> false memory. You were actually raised in a Russian orphanage to infiltrate the United States. You're just waiting for mission report, December fifteenth, nineteen ninety-one. Just wait till Zemo comes to get you. Are they gonna say Zima? <laughs> she has a metal arm. I'm just saying she has a metal arm, and she knew Captain America. I'm just, just throwing it out there. Okay. All right, Ashes. Uh, I think I know your answer. Yeah, you but probably what's, do. Uh, your uh, thing that you're. Uh, Imaginationating. So I never had any any like imaginary friends. However, I did play pretend a lot. Like was big advocate for Barbies. I love to play Barbies. I collect Barbies as an adult. Um, my Barbies would come to life, and I would have no yep. issue, you know, playing half the day in my room by myself. You know, making up all of these different scenarios with my dolls. Yeah. Um, I could play house by myself, you know, like I was, I loved to dress up. I used to watch movies and act along with the movies Mm -hmm. Two in particular were uh, obviously Mary Poppins, which I've discussed at length very fondly on the show uh, and Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. So like playing Mary Poppins, I would have like an oversized old diaper bag that would be my carpet bag and I would dress up in some of my mom's old clothes and I would have this just really weird floppy hat and an umbrella and I would go outside and I would start jumping up and down and I had this old compact that didn't have any makeup at the bottom but it still had like the the powder brush mm-hmm. and I would p- pretend to powder my nose yeah. and I would just sit there and jump up and down and wait for the wind to take me away. <laughs> it never did, unfortunately. Um, and I used to pretend to be Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. I had the, you know, like the plastic shoes that you can get in like the little girl, like the dress yeah. up section. Oh, yeah. I used to have the Wizard of Oz shoes, the the ruby red slippers. And I had this, it was like play school or Fisher Price, like, grocery basket oh yeah yeah the the, the yellow one with like the orange handles mm-hmm. and i would have a dog and i would you know pretend that my stuffed dog was toto in the basket i used to hit my dad with that basket <laughs> I would even part of your russian spy training <laughs> and i used to do performances oh, in my bedroom yeah. like i would set all of my stuffed animals up and I would pretend to be a rock star, and not much has changed. I still do that. I'm not going to lie, but um, so, but there was one one person thing in particular uh, stands out because he's still my guy, and I believe I've mentioned him before. Yes, whenever they're getting into character discussions, his name is Bear, and I actually had a really good conversation with him last night. I had to have a heart-to-heart with him because I've been under the weather 
And I've been sleeping on the couch because I just breathe better being able to, you know, elevated. Yeah, yeah, elevated, propped up, can sleep better and breathe and all that happy crap. You know, the the good stuff that you're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, So while sleeping on the couch, there really isn't enough room to really properly snuggle bear the way that he's accustomed to. Yeah. So he's been sleeping near my feet. Mm-hmm. And he your feet stink. He, well, and he's mad at you. Yeah, I know. I have Kimmy Gibbler feet. Okay, I admit <laughs> it. Like, it's true. It's real. Um, so Bear and I had to have this really just just long heart to heart where I told him, I'm like, it's not you, it's me. I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Like I wish I could snuggle you. I still love you. This isn't punishment for you. You know, uh, uh, we can we can snuggle. I mean, if I'm sitting up, I can snuggle with him, mm-hmm. but I can't snuggle with him laying down because there's just not enough room on the couch. Yeah. So, you know, I had to remind him that he is loved, and you know, he said that he understands. He's just he, he understands. He's just really disappointed because you know we haven't we haven't been able to really spend some quality time together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bear uh, his. Interests have changed a lot throughout the years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, similar to my interest, you know, um, he also likes to drink wine and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, For some uh, reason, I see Bear as a bourbon guy. Uh, well, he... He dabbles in whiskey a little bit. Mm-hmm. He does like his Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he drinks Fireball when he's feeling a little frisky. Oh, but you know he he likes to he likes to pretend to be classy, and he drinks the he drinks the wine with me. And you know our Friday night ritual is we is we watch RuPaul's Drag Race together, and he's really looking forward to this Friday night. Um, if he was a drag queen, his name would be Ivana Bear. <laughs> um so you know we're we're working we're working on it uh i might have to take him to build a bear and see you know if i can give him a makeover a drag makeover with bear but yeah so i i guess what a long story short um my imaginary adventures with bear haven't stopped What about you, Patrick? Well, I was going to ask uh, Wolfie if he had a, a, an imaginary uh, childhood friend, because uh, I'm not I'm not sure how he did his stuff. Uh, I did not. Oh, that was thrilling radio. Yeah. Thank you for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> I could make something up. Do you have anything you'd like to add? <laughs> no. Back to you. Uh, no, that's fine. Um I don't want you to make something up. You know, I want I, I respect your journalistic integrity. Because um, I can talk about, you know, my my experience as a, as a youngin, uh, a youngling, not a yingling. That's a different thing. But, yingling uh, is delicious. Mm, yes. I disagree, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, when I was a kid, um... It felt like mainly all of my friends were imaginary. Um, I didn't get along well with others because I didn't quite understand how social interactions worked. I wasn't sure how I was supposed to do things and how I was supposed to interact with people. Because, I don't know, that's just how I was. I still struggle from time to time, as folks listening to this can attest. Um, but my, my, uh, my 
my imaginary adventures generally took place in books. Um, or sometimes I would be Spider-Man because when I was a, I was about three, and I had this Spider-Man comic book, but it was a, comic, a coloring book, and it was one of those like huge, oversized coloring books where the pages were like eighteen inches by like fifteen inches. It was just huge, and there were no words in it. It was just you know, it was him fighting Doctor Octopus. I'm pretty sure it was like the first time he fought Doctor Octopus, like in the comics, but like translated into this this uh, coloring book. And I remember wondering why Spider-Man didn't wear pants. And my uh, my entire... Uh, because no one explained this to me. Because like, if you look at Spider-Man, you know, back in the 80s, what his costume looked like, you know, he had the blue pants. But if this is just a black and white picture, it looks like Spider-Man has no pants, but he does have boots on. So I kind of made up my own story. And the story that I was like making up because again there were no words in this that Dr. Octopus I didn't know who he was uh, I knew Spider-Man was Spider-Man but I didn't know who Dr. Octopus was but my theory was that Dr. Octopus uh, had stolen Spider-Man's pants and that's why Spider-Man was trying to go after him and as a result you know I used to pretend to be Spider-Man and you know I had some of the the superhero pajamas you know so that would be part of my my uh, pretend, you know, I had my Superman pajamas with the cape. I had Batman pajamas with the cape. I had Spider-Man pajamas with a cape, which I didn't understand why Spider-Man had a cape. But I just went with it, and I made him be able to fly, even though I myself could not. Um, you know, and I would jump, you know, from various, you know, uh, pieces of furniture to other pieces of furniture. And uh, one time I jumped a little too hard and I rocked back in a chair and smashed the glass of this bookcase that my parents still have. I think this is 1985 that this happened. And uh, my babysitter had no idea what to do and I broke the thing and they were trying to trying to pin it all on me. I mean, it was my fault and I told them what happened. And I was like, oh. oh. But that was pretty much it because... You know, as I grew up, like, that was my whole world. I didn't get along with other kids. You know, I didn't understand how to get along with other kids. So imaginary adventures were what I had. You know, we had a swing set, so I continued being Spider-Man. I would swing upside down on the swing set or play on the monkey bars and stuff like that. Uh, I got bullied a lot as a kid, so that was kind of like my my way to escape um, from that and, you know, I didn't really have, like, any special stuffed animal. Like, there was nothing. No, I did, now that I'm thinking about it, when I was very, very young, I used to watch Voltron a lot, and I had this uh, koala bear. Jessica? Yep, I had a koala bear named Jessica. And she was named after the girl who piloted Aphrodite on Voltron. And it was weird. Like, I don't, I don't know why it was this koala bear. I think it was because it had these, uh, it was a koala bear that had like a baby koala that it would hold. and But it had like these really long, almost like gibbon-like arms that ended in um, like two pieces of Velcro so they could like clasp together so I could put a thing around my neck and run around like I was saving somebody. But that was basically it. That was, that was my experience with uh, 
imagination stuff. You know, I'd play, you know, similar to what you guys said, you know, I'd play with my He-Man guys. And I mean, I still, to this day, I do this stuff. You know, I, I will, especially if I'm playing like a role-playing game, you know, like, you know, Star Wars Galaxy or not Star Wars Galaxy, uh, Knights of the Old Republic or uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 because you're already set character in the first one. Or, you know, Fallout 4, you get to create the character that you are and, like, I make my, I make it as myself, you know. Or I'd play, like, a sports game and I would make myself as a, a character. And, you know, I still do that stuff, you know, kind of living vicariously, like, oh, what would have happened if I could have, you know, been a superstar running back or what yeah. if I was a point guard, you know, shit like yeah. that. I'm, you know, I know I'm not the only one who does stuff like that. No, so. I do, too. But it stems from when I was younger you know i always dreamed of being something greater than myself it didn't you know i don't i don't know, I don't know what i was expecting but you know, that i mean was... i think you know as an adult it's a, important to still play pretend like i joke that i suffer from multiple multiple personality disorder because i just you know you never know what makeup I'm going to do or what I'm going to show up Yeah, in. You know, I could be like super frumpy one moment and then walk in looking like a drag queen the next, you yeah. know, like and, and there's, you know, everything and anything in between. Um, I think it's important. I think it's a, a good sign of creativity as an adult to have those thoughts and to just kind of never lose that yeah you know imagination to me was just such an important part of my childhood and you know it's almost like you know sometimes I play the what if game like oh what if I had done this or what if I had done this you know Mm -hmm. and kind of you know uh, uh, you imagine certain scenarios scenarios exchanges you know, but I just I think it's important. I think it's a, an important I- escape. Oh yeah, I from agree. real life, uh, and I think it's healthy and it promotes creativity. And you know, I mean, Patrick, you're a writer, and Nicole, you're a writer too. Yeah, like, I was just I'm, gonna mention I like play ri- role playing games, imaginary games, where I like make a character and like I give them like a whole biography, like their mm-hmm. life story. And, like, you go into these various community games and you just see, like, what happens. Like, you never know what interaction. And it's, it is it is healthy. And it, I, like, for the longest time, I didn't tell anybody because I was, like, embarrassed that people would judge me for doing something like that. But, like, a lot of my friends were like, well, you know, as long as you're having fun, that's all that matters. And Anybody it, who judges you for doing something like that, for doing something that's healthy and creative and, you know, uh, helping to enhance and enrich you as a person is just a stupid person and don't yeah. listen to them so yeah no i i did it a lot like i started doing it a lot when i was like in college and i was like extremely homesick and i didn't have any friends because it was like making friends was hard back then like especially in college when you don't know anybody so i like turned to the interwebs and just started playing and talking to different people and like it was fun. It was just you had your character side and then you had your side and 
sometimes your other side had a better life than you but you know it was just a good that's creative, usually the way it works yeah <laughs> you know it's like a creative outlook in life and you know when you're stressed out like sometimes i'm stressed out because of multiple things i just turn to usually writing me. yeah you, you fucking stress me out all the time um it's just it's a nice creative way to just escape from your reality and just see something different you know podcasting is like that too mm-hmm. um you know, I know multiple people, myself included, who create podcast personas. And, you know, they're they're a reflection of who the person is. But, you know, it's it's not it's this it's kind of like an alter ego and you know, it, it feeds into that creative side. Mm-hmm. And again, like I've had I've had many alter egos over the years Trixie um, Firecracker. yeah i would say when patrick first met me i was Trixie firecracker and now i'm ashes von nightmare so you know I've, I've gone through um some transformations over the years uh but I, I think it's it's just i think it's so important and it's so healthy and it's almost frowned upon as an adult to be creative um something that noel fielding said comes to mind Noel Fielding is a brilliant and just absolutely bonkers uh, British comic, uh, Mm -hmm. most famous for The Mighty Boosh. And we actually had the opportunity to, the three of us saw him last year in Boston and he was just uh, amazing. Most folks out there would recognize him from his work as Old Greg. If yes. you are unfamiliar with him as and anything else, a lot of folks know him as Old Greg or from Rich, the Legend of Richmond Old Greg. and the IT crowd. Yes, that too. Um, but somebody, I'm obviously going to be paraphrasing here, um, but he did an interview, and the interviewer, you know, asked him like, "Where do you get these characters from?" Like. Are you on drugs? Are you an alcoholic? Like, you know, is it is it substance driven? Like, yeah. how do you? And Noel kind of was taken aback, and you know, pretty much said, "I hate the fact that if an adult is, you know, if, if a kid is creative and is wacky and just you know completely bonkers, like that's okay. That kid is is considered creative and that is socially acceptable. But if an adult does that, if if an adult, you know, creates this alter ego or does something that's so outside of the norm or, you know, creates these crazy characters like Noel Fielding does and just talks complete nonsense, but, you know, hilarious nonsense that, you know, people just automatically assume that, you know, he's under the influence of something. And that's the only way that adults can behave that way is if they're under the influence of something, because apparently once we go into adulthood, we're supposed to lose that creative, imaginative part of being a child. Yeah. And Noel Fielding, he's just like, he's like, I'm just a really large child. And... I I never really thought of it like that until I read this interview with him. And I've actually thought about that a lot since. Why is it so socially unacceptable to be a big kid and to, I mean, you be an adult, you know, you can have a job and be, you know, a, a 
contributor to society and, you know, live on your own and have responsibilities and stuff. But why is it socially unacceptable to be a large child, to be, to be a big kid and find joys in creativity and imagination? I just don't get because that. Because there are people out there who lost their childhood long ago in the pursuit of things like money and and property and and stuff and they lost how to be a kid and they don't know how to do that anymore and they're upset and that's why it's so great that we have things like childhood stuffed animals or dolls or comic strips like calvin and hobbes to remind us of this creativity and bring us back to an age where it was okay to be that weird kid in the cardboard box. I'm always the weird kid in the cardboard box. Yes, you are. On that note, I think it's a really good time to take a break. Yeah, a little break would be nice. And then we'll come back. We're going to talk about you know our first introduction to the characters and like what they mean to us. And you know, we're going to play Calvin Ball. Essentially, so. We will be right back after this. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Okay. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. And we're back. Hopefully you didn't miss us too, too much, but, you know, we're still here, so it's okay. So, <clears throat> as you can probably tell, Calvin and Hobbes is something that uh, has been a huge, huge part of my childhood, and even today. Says the guy wearing the Calvin Ball shirt. I am wearing a red Calvin Ball shirt. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, what Calvin Ball is, Calvin Ball is the sport that uh, Calvin and Hobbes invent because Calvin does not like uh, traditional organized sports. You know, because Calvin's the poster child for ADHD. Like, he can't stand still long enough. Like, you know, there's a series of strips where he's playing baseball, you know, because he has to join an after-school team. And he makes, you know... He makes the most of it because he uses his imagination. He daydreams and he's, 
you know, imagining that there are, you know, the other players are aliens because they put him in deep left field, you know, to kind of get him out of the way. And he ends up making this spectacular catch, even though he's not really paying attention. And it turns out he didn't notice when the team switched sides and like his team that was in the field went up to bat and he made an out for the other team. And, you know, all the kids were yelling at him, making fun of him. And he's like, I don't understand. You know, the coach called me a quitter and all the other kids were making fun of me. And I was playing a sport I didn't even want to play in the first place. So why do I feel so bad about this? And Hobbs is like, well, why don't we just play Calvin Ball? And he's like, you're right. No sport is less organized than Calvin Ball. Calvin Ball, you have to wear masks, you know, kind of like a domino mask or like a, a Zorro or a Lone Ranger type mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only rule is you can't play it the same way twice. You keep score, but scores could be anything. You know, the, you know, in one strip, the score is Q to 12. and another one, the score is Oogie to Boogie. And Calvin's like, wait a minute, I already had Oogie. Um, you know, there's... The rules are you make it up as you go along, but you can't play the same way twice. Like, that's the only rule. Like, there's a strip where they're like, hey, you know, new rule is you have to jump everywhere until someone finds the bonus box. It's like, no, wait, we did that last time. It's like, all right, well, now you have to spin around until you fall down. You know, and there's even, you know, a series where they play with their babysitter, which is awesome. Uh, it's, But you just, again, you just make it up as you go along, and it's super fun. Um, preferably, you want a large field to play in. But... The origin of Calvin and Hobbes goes back uh, into the 70s where Bill Watterson was writing for the uh, Chagrin, Ohio uh, newspaper, you know, doing little comic strips and, you know, political cartoons and things like that. Like he had one with Mark Twain. He had another one with, I forget the exact exact thing because I wasn't overly concerned with that. I just wanted to see more Calvin and Hobbes strips. And... This is a guy, Bill Watterson, who I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. I don't think I've ever seen him give an interview. Um, I know they do, uh, like there was a convention of, you know, comic strip writers, you know, and comic strip artists, and generally they're the same people. You know, you're going to write and illustrate the same thing because comic strips are really the only time where you have complete control of what's going on. Because you're the one drawing it, so it's going to come out the way you want. You're the one, you know, putting in the the speech bubbles and and, and writing the words of the characters, and everything is going to develop the way you want it to do. And that's kind of what he liked the most about doing this strip is, you know, you think about some of the more famous strips out there: Garfield, uh, Peanuts, you know, the Charlie Brown thing. And I will safely bet that anyone listening to this either had or knew someone who had some sort of Garfield school supplies as you're growing up, whether it's a folder or a notebook or a ruler, something with Garfield on it, something with Snoopy on it, whether it's a stuffed animal or a window cling, something. Nothing for Calvin and Hobbes. I know what you're thinking. Oh, I've seen all that shit where, you know, Calvin's urinating on a Chevy or, you know, on a, you know, that's a sticker on the back of a Ford truck or something or, you know, oh, I see in Boston, you know, Calvin urinating on the fucking Yankees logo. But that's not a, a, a sanctioned, you know, official product because there aren't any. And 
we recently watched a documentary called Dear Mr. Watterson, which is all about Bill Watterson and how he made the, the, the cartoon. And there were offers, you know, Lucasfilm, Spielberg, all the Disney offering, you know, movies and animated shows and merchandising. And they would have made mi- hundreds of millions of dollars, but he didn't want that. You know, I think it was Stefan Pastis, who was the, the uh, writer and artist for Pearls Before Swine, who said, you know, I love the fact that, you know, there there's a there's a, a, a huggable Snoopy, like I can get a stuffed Snoopy and I can hug it. And it would have been awesome to have a, a stuffed Hobbs, uh, which we'll get back to. But seeing Snoopy sell me insurance that really like cheapens the character so to speak i agree it does you know like i love calvin and hobbs but i don't want to see like oh here's calvin and hobbs feminine hygiene spray you know it's called feminine hygiene goes boink you know or (laughs) please just quit while you're ahead well that's a that's one of their books scientific progress goes boink yes but you just but uh... i'm just i'm saying like you know like, that's the type of thing, like, you know, I only douche with Calvin and Hobbes, or like, you know, I cured my jock itch with, you know, Hobbes brand jock itch cream. Just get off the feminine products, please. It's really uncomfortable. I was talking about jock itch. Well, technically, jock itch is not a uh, feminine issue, but anyway. Jock health is the most important health, if Tina Belcher taught us anything. That's true. Um, but no, like, you know, I don't want to have Calvin brand toothbrushes and yeah. Hobbs toothpaste like it would have been nice to have the stuffed animals but then where does it where does it stop how do the characters look and that's what you know Passis is saying is like because they couldn't get Watterson to to do to do this I don't even know if they tried but he uh he just wanted to make the comic strip yeah and so we have to get into who Calvin and Hobbes are at heart. Uh, Calvin is named after John Calvin, who is a French theologian uh, who invented, and this is very creative, uh, he was the founder of Calvinism, which is the Protestant theological system which de- develops Luther's doctrine of justification by faith alone, meaning anything good that happens to you in your life, that's God's will. It's like, well, how did you become, you know, mayor? Oh, that was God. Oh, why did you get smallpox? Oh, that's because of God. Everything is God. Nothing you do has anything, you know. It, it's all based on your faith and how you adhere to the religious rules. Thomas Hobbes uh, is obviously where the name Hobbes came from, and he wrote a book called Leviathan, and that's the shortened version. That's what everybody calls it. Or... Oh, I, I spilled my Red Rage soda on my book. Uh, the Matter Form of Power of a Commonwealth Ecclesiastical and Civil. Uh, people consider this on par with The Prince by Machiavelli. And uh, basically, his he he was a, a philosopher, but one of his main tenets of, of his uh, philosophy was that uh, only government can hold people together because our... Uh, we are selfish by nature, and our natural condition is a state of perpetual fear, 
war, and amorality. He also believed in the spirituality of animals, hence where Hobbes comes in. Now, when you uh, when you see when you first introduced to Calvin and Hobbes, and I remember not knowing what this was, and then starting to read it in the in the uh, the comics, the, the the comic strips of the of the daily paper and the Sunday paper, and it really spoke to me because it was this young kid who had an imaginary friend and he would go on all these crazy adventures and I loved it. I loved it so much and I couldn't get enough. And then the book fair rolls around and those of you who are old enough to remember the book fair, the scholastic book fair, they like the books came out like you could get the books and like, that's all I wanted. All I wanted was the, was these books and it was so great reading all these different adventures, seeing this kid. And it's one of those things where it, it has this great reread value where even now, like I'll go back and I'll read some of these like stuff that I didn't understand at the time. I just thought it was funny. Like there's a strip where Calvin is reading a book and you know, it, Watterson anthropomorphizes the TV just for one panel. He doesn't normally do stuff like this, but he anthropomorphizes the TV. And he, Calvin's like, hey, look here. This says religion is the opiate of the masses. What do you think that means? And then the TV has the speech bubble coming up off of its head saying something like, means Karl Marx hadn't seen anything yet. Meaning that the power of TV, because that whole, uh, the whole strip centers around Calvin just sitting in front of the TV and Hobbes like, hey, let's go outside. It's like, what are you watching? It's like, ah, this show, it's not even really that good. There's nothing There's nothing redeeming about it, but it's on and I have to sit here and I have to watch this. Well, why? Is the story good? No, the story's not any good. Well, is it entertaining? No. Is the acting good? No. Well, why are you sitting here? Well, you know, basically, why not? And Hobbes eventually stops trying to trying to uh, convince him to leave and then just sits down and watches with him. And like, that's a, like a, a political statement made by, you know, Bill Watterson in his, you know, in his, uh, his comic strip, which is weird because I would say half the strips involve Calvin outside in the woods, riding his wagon through the, through the, uh, through the forest or, or sledding or building snowmen or going on adventures. So, it was kind of weird. He, like he loved watching TV, but he also loved being outside and exploring. Like I lived vicariously through Calvin's adventures and it kind of made me want to like write my own type of stuff, so I wrote stories and you know, um some of the things that they did I found fantastic. Like Weirdos from Another Planet. And again, this is another political type statement where Calvin gets tired of living on Earth, tired of all the pollution, tired of all all the all the you know the the terrible things that are going on in the world. So he decides that him and Hobbes are going to move to Mars. So they each make a couple of sandwiches, <laughs> and they pack some comic books, and they get some candy bars, and they take the wagon and they go down a ramp and shoot out into space, and end up on Mars. And I believe that's how Mark Watney got there. It's very similar. So they're on Mars and they go and they find the old Viking probe and they're like making faces into the cameras and the sensors and they're like, oh, that was great, you know. 
And they're like, wow, it's so great. Like this whole planet with no with no pollution, no other people. It's great. And Hobbs is like, hey, is that your candy wrapper that's sitting right there? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, you know, I'm, I wasn't going to leave it there. It's fine. You know, I'll, I'll pick it up. And then they find out that they're not alone, that there's this other creature wiggling around. And they're like, they're terrified. The thing comes out. It's got like one bulging eye. It's got tentacles. And like, so they go and they hide behind some rocks and, Hobbs is like, do you think it's afraid of us? And Hobbs like, Calvin goes, I don't understand why it would be afraid of us. We're just normal Earthlings, not weirdos from another planet like he is. You know, again, that's a commentary on how selfish and self-centered humans are, you know, and that fits Calvin because he's just like this annoying six-year-old who thinks the world revolves around him. So finally, he's like, he's trying to make peace with this... uh this alien is like, hey, you know, alien, it's okay. Come out, you know. We're just, we're just here because we trashed our own planet. And I, ooh, he looks over at Hobbs. He goes, you think maybe our reputation preceded us? And Hobbs says, would you welcome in a dog that wasn't house trained? And then that's how the strip ends. And they they go back in the next strip, and they're like, he, the, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, might as well head back. We're out of tuna, anyways, you know. And so you you get. Only Calvin sees Hobbes as a real a real tiger. Like, everything that happens in the strip is happening in Calvin's incredible imagination, and he is uh, amazingly gifted when it comes to just seeing things that he wants to see. Like, there's a, there's a strip where he uh, just walks up to his dad and goes, Kazam! And... Stuff at the, like the furniture in the room starts changing. He's like, "Kazam!" And his dad's like, "What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Stop that!" And like his dad turns into this weird like slug alien monster, and he's like, "That's it. Go to your room." And he goes upstairs and just looks outside his window. And instead of being like this boring little like Ohio suburb, no offense to anybody who lives in an Ohio suburb, but what he imagines is this incredible. Now, Bill Watterson's art is phenomenal. The stuff that he drew, like the landscapes, the, everything from the landscapes where he would draw this mountains and, and, and valleys and and like mesas and these alien worlds, like up in the sky, there's, you know, this ringed planet that, you know, is in a partial eclipse, you know, and he drew stuff like that amazing. But at the same time, he would also draw, and this is a quote from one of the books, bedside tables and lamps like he makes amazing stuff and people don't appreciate comic strips as art and there's even a whole strip dedicated to that you know where he talks about it ironically and it's one of those things that again i didn't appreciate when i was younger i used to look at that and be like oh well i can tell this is an early thing because look at this like this is dumb like this looks terrible and I compare it to some of the later stuff, and the art is just phenomenal. But it's one of those things, like, as as in anything else, once you start doing something, as you continue to do it, especially for over 3,100 strips, you get better and better and better. And you appreciate that some of the stuff he did was what he did with the knowledge at the time. Like, there's a strip where... Calvin pretends to be a Tyrannosaurus. And the way that 
the Tyrannosaurus drawn is the classic standing completely upright, you know, three fingers on each hand. and But then you see dinosaurs drawn later on in the strip, and it looks more realistic, almost like the Jurassic tarp, tar, Park type dinosaurs, because we learned more about, like, the, 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 the behavior and, like, the way that dinosaurs would stand and move. So his art... And progressed with the times so it's almost like a reflection of what's going on in the world at the time so it's it's kind of like a time capsule but at the same time it doesn't date itself with technology a lot of the stuff that they're doing is like philosophical conversations while riding a sled or if, you know talks about uh, you know, spirituality and animals uh, or the existence of extraterrestrial life or why nighttime is dark. Like, there are quotes that I remember and I still quote all the time. Like, I believe nighttime is dark so we can imagine our fears with less distraction. Or sometimes I think the surest sign of intelligent life, that intelligent life exists elsewhere in the universe, uh, is that none of it has tried to contact us. And he was a pioneer. Like, these strips, because of what Calvin's imagination was capable of, it required different layouts of the strips. Like, that one I was just talking about, it's one panel. And so instead of being broken up into three sections like it used to be, this was just one unbroken panel, took up the same amount of space, but it was just them standing in, like, these unspoiled woods with the exception of, like, a pile of beer cans and, like, trash just left there. Um, no. There was, a, there was one strip. There was one, one square, and then this next one took up two spots. Because look at this. Like, some idiot went and ruined this spot in the woods by dumping trash here. Like, why would somebody go and just, like... Because Calvin... <sighs> In writing Calvin and Hobbes, Watterson said he loved writing it because he only needed to know as much as a lazy six-year-old. I call bullshit on that because Calvin has incredible conversations about different things. Like, there's one strip where he's talking about gravity and how planets work in space. He's like, oh, did you know, like, planets don't really, like, just float in space, like... They kind of roll in this well created by gravity, and like it works almost like a soft surface, so planets roll around in the gravity. Like, isn't this amazing? He's like, oh, and speaking of gravity, I dropped a pitcher of lemonade on the floor while my ro- when my roller skates slipped. Like, looks like you'll have to clean it up. And his mom's like sitting there. She's like, how can one little kid know so much and be so dumb? Like, so I've gone on for a long time about this because I could go without ever stopping. But Ashes, what, what? Uh, what is your experience with Calvin and Hobbes? Like, what? How did it speak to you? How did it? Uh, how did you get involved with it? Um. So once upon a time, there was this archaic uh, device, reading uh, receptacle, reading, platform. Yeah, reading platform. Um, called a newspaper. <laughs> And a newspaper uh, was delivered to your house by something called a 
paper boy or a paper girl. Uh, so every Sunday, like my parents used to get the paper every day and they, you know, would read the comics every day. However, on Sunday, oh, Sunday, Sunday morning, the Sunday paper, um, got, that was like the holy grail because the Sunday paper held the funnies. And as soon as I heard my dad come in with the morning paper, I would be like, yoink. And I would grab the funnies from him and I would pretend to be an adult sitting at the kitchen table, you know, dad reading the sports section, mom reading whatever she was reading and me with my funnies. Now, um, I think a lot, you know, being, being younger, being a, a kid at the time, uh, a lot of the comic strips kind of went over my head, but there were a few, uh, you know, a couple in particular that I always understood, and that was Garfield, and it was Peanuts, and it was Calvin and Hobbes, and uh, I think Calvin and Hobbes reminded me a lot of me and Bear, uh, and I just saw a lot of... Not so much like the craziness, like Calvin is just this spastic, ADHD-driven child, and I was not that way. Uh, but, you know, as far as his imagination and stuff goes, you know, he was a very imaginative child, and I was the same way, and I used to just love reading his... You know, as a child, it was all, you know, reading all about Calvin's adventures with Hobbes. And looking at all of the mischief that they got into and all of these crazy, you know, adventures that they went on. As an adult, going back and rereading some of these comic strips, it's about reminding myself of, you know, imagination and crazy adventures and kind of just bringing me back to a, a place uh, that satisfies my inner child and I think that's something that I know for me is just super important. I need to balance that. I need to balance my inner adults with my inner child. You know, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes like at the end of the day, you know, it's really nice to, you know, when you've had a really shitty day at work and you're just bombarded with all of these adult responsibilities and you have a lot to do and, you know, you need to make money and you're really stressed out and all of this crap. Like, it's nice to kind of, it's almost, it's almost cathartic and medicinal to, you know, just have these reminders of, of childhood and simpler times. And so I think that's what now, like, you know, reading comic strips like Calvin and Hobbes, it's more nostalgia than anything else. Just yeah. bringing you back, back to a place that is just so much simpler than where, you know, you're at your current present time. So, so that's it. What about you, Agent Nicole? Um, so, Patsy, you had let me borrow some of your books to do some research. And One of them, the original 1987 yeah. first book, uh, just titled Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, and um, I remembered a little bit of my childhood where, like, like you, Ash, is like, I would wait for the Sunday paper with my dad and grab the funnies, but 
um, my dad actually had looked through that book and he was like, oh, yeah, I remember like when you were a kid, you would like wait, you know, wake up with me early in the morning and like he would actually read me the comic strips and um, he would, you know, he he would spend time with me on Sunday mornings just, you know, looking through the newspaper, reading the comic strips. Like, as a kid, I I rather looked at the pictures than read it and, like, understand it. So that was, like, how I learned stuff. It's always visual before written. So I enjoyed aesthetically how beautiful the comic strips were. And, um, yeah, that's, like, my exposure to it. And, like, now, like reading more of it and actually spending the time this week actually learning about Calvin and Hobbes. It's just, it's a beautiful comic strip. And I wish there was more of it. Like, it, 10 years isn't enough. Like, it should have, you know, I understand why he did what he did, but it's, you know, I'm glad that, like, we have, like, books out there to really, you know, for the next few generations to see, like, it's okay to have an imaginary friend. It's healthy. Like it's part of growing up and it's it that the those comic strips provided so many beautiful messages to kids and not just kids but adults too like hey, we're all kids deep down. Like have fun, go explore. That's what life is all about. And it's you know, those messages as a kid, they translate to you know, teenage years into adulthood, and I can understand why it's so it affects you so personally. And like, I totally respect that, and I understand that. Like, I like when it came out. I was when I was born and all that. It came, I was towards the very end of it, so I didn't get to really experience it the way that you have. Right. So for me, it's like I'm catching up and I'm learning, and it's it's funny and it's really enjoyable and like. Well, I wish I was able to see it when I was a kid, like really experience it and understand it at that time. It's funny the 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 wording you used, like exploring, like because that's literally the last line yeah. of the last comic is let's Calvin, go exploring. Yeah, let's go exploring, and it's them sledding off into this uh, white snowy hill, like you know, and he even refers to it as a. A blank, sh- like a big uh, like white a big, pe- piece like of paper yeah. to draw on, and it's just the possibilities are endless. Yeah, and I think that's such you know a great message for both children and adults alike. You know, uh, let's let's go exploring. You know, uh, your story you doesn't just, just end here. Your story continues. You know, kind of like you decide those, where it goes. Exactly. Yeah. Take take what you've gotten from Calvin and Hobbes. Take everything that you've learned and all of the enjoyment that you've had, and go exploring. Yeah. Take it with you. So uh, before we wrap this conversation up, I do have a couple of questions for you, Patsy. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what was your first like? What drew you to these characters? Because you kind of went over it, but you, you touched base on it a little bit. But first of all, like, what drew you to these characters, and why do you love them so much? Part of it is um, how it was drawn. I liked the way Calvin looked. I liked the fact that the tiger was only real when Calvin was by himself and eat like. The, the tiger was always a real tiger to him. You know, always. 
and there was just this emotional connection to the two characters and it was written so well um i remember it was one of the as a kid i used to laugh at like everything that was like moderately stupid and very very rarely did i laugh at something that was actually like intelligently done you know cuz i grew up with Mel Brooks stuff, so I was used to some sophisticated humor because my dad introduced me to all that, you know, Young Frankenstein and Spaceballs and uh, Blazing Saddles, stuff like that. But one of the hardest times I've ever laughed, ever in my life, was when Calvin and Susie got paired up to do a, a project on the planet Mercury and... Calvin's just goofing off and screwing around at the library. And she's like, have you even done any work? And he's like, oh, I, well, I made this flip book about a Martian. He goes, watch, when he flipped the pages, he eats an astronaut. And I don't know why, but that was the funniest fucking thing I had ever read. I think I was eight or nine. And it was the funniest goddamn thing I had ever read. And I laughed for like five minutes straight. And it was in a book that I had just gotten from the book fair. I had gotten it that day and I took it home and my mom like actually came to check on me because she was like, why are you so quiet? Because I was that rowdy, obnoxious, like spastic kid. Like that was me on the comics. Like I was looking at that and all I saw was me. I think that's why I was so drawn to that. And because it, it, it went on for 10 years, you know, 1985 to 1995. So from when I was four to 14. So like I had that as I grew up and like, you know, started to develop into the person I am. I was going to say mature, but that's not the right no, word. No, that's why I didn't <laughs> use that word. You know, I started to develop into the person that I am and I loved I loved the comics. Like, I couldn't get enough of it. I would read it all the time. Like, even just watching... We watched the documentary the other day. And just watching the documentary, like, I was getting very emotional. Like, my eyes were welling up because... It's hard to explain. It's hard to articulate what these these characters, these two imaginary characters that never existed in real life what they meant to me and it was just it provided a, a like I said I had a hard time like interacting with people and, and other other kids especially when I was younger and this kind of you know looking at it it showed me that like I kind of had a friend in Calvin, like our shared adventures, like sometimes I would pretend that I was Calvin, other times that I would I would pretend that we were friends and we would all hang out, you know, even though they weren't there, like that's, you know, I'd go outside and I'd climb a tree and Calvin would be with me and Hobbs would be with me and like we do, you know, I would emulate some of the, the things he did, like, you know, you know, sledding like a lunatic and stuff like that you know all the stuff i mean i was smart enough not to know that i'm gonna take a wagon and ride it down this fucking hill behind my house because i had a wagon but i would probably die you know i'm not gonna you know try to jump out of the second floor uh window with just a bed sheet because i assume it's the same as a parachute 
you know, I didn't do stupid stuff like that, but I liked to pretend that I was out in space, you know. I was frequently disruptive in class. Basically, the way I am now, like, you know, blurting things out and stuff, I, that has always been who I am. I had a psychology teacher who thought, well, the way you fix a behavior is if you ignore it and it takes 21 days to change a behavior. And it's like, no, this is who I am. You're, this isn't a behavior. This is my personality. Like, I'm not going to change, you know, so nice try, but no. Like when I was a kid and I was in elementary school, I would get kicked out of class and, you know, I'd have to go stand in the hallway or something. So I would, you know, just sit around and I would imagine that I was, you know, Spider-Man or I was on an adventure in space and, you know, with like these, all the bricks that were in the wall, like each brick was a different button that did a different thing. And, you know, if I hit this one, the rockets would go off and I hit this one, you know, I would, you know, jump to hyperspace, you know, so... That's where Calvin and Hobbes kind of had an influence on me is help me expand my imagination, you know, to more than just, you know, like mundane things. Like, you know, you have Spaceman Spiff, you have, you know, his detective, uh, Tracer Bullet was the name of his detective when they would do like the, 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 the film noir type, uh, comic strips, which are always amazing. You know, uh, I think that's that's kind of where it came from, and that's where where I connected with it. So, I hope that answers. You. I know that's a roundabout way of saying it, and I expanded way too much on it, but that's kind of where I came from. There's something wrong with that. I enjoyed that answer. So, did you have anything else? No. Okay. Uh, Agent Nicole, do you have anything else? No. I will I will say one thing. If you're unfamiliar with this uh this comic strip, which I don't know how you would be, because I mean the books are everywhere, but do yourself a favor and pick up the Calvin and Hobbes tenth anniversary book because it has a lot of uh really great strips in it. But each strip has a an explanation as to what uh what Watterson was thinking and and sometimes reading some of his stuff and I didn't appreciate it at the time I thought he was just kind of like a jerk cuz there's a one thing where Calvin's reading this uh graphic novel this comic book and all this crazy stuff is happening and you know underneath the caption you know, explaining the strip he's talking you know, Watterson talks about it's like, oh, you can call them a graphic novel and you can, you know, draw gut splattering violence and this and that, but comic books are still incredibly stupid. And I was like, you write a comic strip, which you then put into a book. You put your comic strips into this book, thus making it a comic book. Like, you do the exact same things that these guys do. How is your medium fine? But someone who does almost the exact same thing, stupid. It's like the war between the Catholics and the Protestants. Like, you have essentially the same thing going on. Why is one better than the other? I don't know. I didn't understand that. But do yourself a favor and pick up the 10th anniversary book. It's phenomenal. Uh, it gives you a lot of insight 
Um, it tells you a lot about the characters and like where they came from and you know what they mean to him. Uh, like you know, Calvin's on again, off again, love interest, if you can call her that, kind of like his antagonist. Uh, Susie Durkins was named after the family dog, you know, so, but, uh, I think that's going to go ahead. I could just keep going on forever about these guys, but we're not going to. So I think we'll go ahead. We'll go to our second break and we come back. We'll wrap things up with our, our usual, uh, even episode endings. So, uh, yeah, let's go to break. Wolfie. Do you love a scary story? Do you love to dance? Monster Hunts at Midnight is a collection of dark songs about sex, love, death, revenge, and the end of the world. Brought to you by the world's greatest monster hunting electroshock band, The Deads. Oh, finally, we can listen to that song the way it was intended without the additional commentary. I think it's because Agent Nicole is currently indisposed. Uh, I believe she is urinating, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's entirely possible. Maybe she went out for a smoke. I don't know. It's, uh... I don't... Does she have booze in her car? Maybe. Maybe she's... I can go find out. She's out smoking booze. So, that that's going to wrap up our, our Calvin and Hobbes conversation. We did... Uh, get one bit of feedback from uh, someone on Facebook. It was uh, uh, just a just a Facebook message from um, from a, a gentleman named uh, Marcus, and uh, Marcus says Calvin and Hobbes is a true timeless cast classic that has stood the test of time. It speaks to uh, the lonely, imaginative kids and adults of the world. The fact that you can enjoy it at 8 and then find new things to enjoy about it at 18 and yet still find things to enjoy at 28 speaks to layers and emotional honesty that Bill Watterson was able to achieve. It was all things, witty, insightful, goofy, imaginative, honest, and even at times tragic and sad, and that just made the world and characters better. And that's true. Uh, you could read one of the books and go through a full gamut of emotions, like when Calvin finds the the wounded raccoon and he has to learn about death. 
or to the time that he lost Hobbs and his mom was running through, you know, his mom and his dad were trying to find him and they're outside in the woods with flashlights and his mom just puts her hands over her mouth and goes, Hobbs! And the dad looks at her. She's like, <laughs> sorry. Because Calvin is so much a part of the family, which they even mentioned at one point when they... Well, I would hope Calvin is so much I a part meant of Hobbs. the family. Yeah. Well, they like Hobbs better, I think. Because according to Hobbs, Calvin was... Uh, bought at the flea market for a nickel. Uh, but there's a there's one where the house gets broken into when they're on vacation. They come home to find the house broken into, and the first thing Calvin wants is where's Hobbs? Where's Hobbs? Where's Hobbs? Can't find him anywhere. They finally find him, and he's like, "Now that I, and Calvin says, now that I know you're safe and sound, I am too." And you know, mom says, "Look like we're a family again." Dad says, "Yep, such as it is." Yes. So like that one. Like, it pulls on you. So, we do have a battle that's coming up this week. And the battle is going to be uh, Calvin as stupendous Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoa. Can you guys do your not quite in sync uh, intro for me? We're not a boy band. We don't have to be in sync. I said not quite in sync. You ready? Ready? One... Two, three. It's a motherfucking throwdown. Sorry, I screwed that up. That's my bad. Uh, but we're going to go with one of Calvin's alter egos that we did not discuss. Stupendous man. We 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 need to. It, it's a battle of the imaginations. Yes. Yes. I, I'm getting to it. <laughs> you are horrible Calvin, at this. One of Calvin's alter egos. Stupendous man who is shown through the comics to have a great deal of power in a battle of imaginary alter egos, he will be going up against none others than Professor Chaos, also known as Butters Stotch. Oh, that's me. We will, if you are unfamiliar with either of them, I will post pictures of what they both look like um, because I think it's fantastic. Um, And again... It is a battle of the imaginary alter egos. One, a hero. The other, a dastardly villain. So that'll be up uh, today. We'll put that up, and uh, you can vote on that. And I think I know who's going to win. I already know who I'm voting for. So I think with that being said, we have to get into our final closing arguments. And um, I do have a nice science fact that I am dedicating to Dynamo Mars because, uh, well, Wolfie, why don't you go ahead and uh, play that and then we'll get into it. From the blackness of space, timeless from the void, you terrified to learn of Patsy's science facts. (laughs) Alright, so like I said... Today's science fact is uh, is dedicated to Mr. Dynamo Mars because it is about something I am very passionate about, and I just learned this new shark fact. There is a small shark, the largest of which ever recorded was only about 42 inches, so about three and a half feet. It's called the Epaulette Shark. It lives in shallow tidal pools. Um... And this is a very unique shark, and I remember watching this documentary and feeling very sad because 
the water in the tidal pool all dried up around the shark. And this is in Australia. And as some of our listeners know, Australian heat is no place for an aquatic animal. So I'm like, great, the shark's going to die because it's going to be so hot and it's just going to bake to death because it can't get oxygen because once a shark is out of water, like most fish, it will drown. But this shark doesn't drown. It has the ability to not only shut down its organs, but it can also restrict its blood vessels so only its heart and brain are receiving oxygen. Basically shuts down all non non uh, non uh, uh, essential parts of its body. It can live without oxygen for an hour, and unlike most uh, most animals that can do this, they have been recorded uh, in warm temperatures up to about eighty five degrees. Usually, when this happens, it's in colder temperatures, um, as a, and the animal would enter what is known in the medical community as hypothermic arrest, which is how they used to do open-heart surgery. They would dunk you in a, a, a tub of ice water to slow down your bodily functions, which is why you read about people who, you know, fall through ice in a, in a pond in the winter, and they, you know, they could be down there for half an hour, and then they get pulled out and they're fine. It's because all their bodily functions slow down so much, it's almost to the point of death, but they're still alive. Now, if the shark is still unable to get to water, like, you know, it's like, oh, man, there's some water about 20 feet away. I just, uh, I wish I could get to it. Oh, wait, it can because it can move its fins like legs and it can walk. That's right, Dynamo. There are sharks that walk around. This is, as far as we know, this is the only shark that is capable of They're doing this. They're coming to get you, Dynamo. It's the only shark that's capable of doing this, but as we all know, a, a group of sharks is called a school, and in school you learn things. So I would imagine that this shark is teaching other sharks how to walk on land. So Dynamo, watch out. Because the sharks are coming to get you. It's only a matter of time before they learn how to drive. And uh, that'll be it. They're going to know you were talking shit about them, and they're going to come after you. So that's uh, my science fact of the week. The uh, the epaulette shark, E-P-A-U-L-E-T-T-E, named after uh, the insignia on a French uniform, a military uniform, because this is a similar markings. Um, so... I think what we're going to do next is we're going to shift on over to the Von Nightmare Vineyard. Today, um, I'm going to talk about a wine that I was actually introduced to at Olive Garden of all places. Actually, don't knock it. Olive Garden actually has some very good pasta and some very good wine. And if you talk to your, you know, uh, the wait staff, like they will do an excellent job at um, 
recommending wine for your dishes and stuff. But anyways, it's called Via Antonori Toscana Red. It is a super Tuscan. Why is it called a Tuscan? Well, because it is made in Tuscany, Italy. This particular wine is an intense... Patrick's laughing. What? All I can think of is that you like the Tuscan wine because it scatters easily but returns in greater numbers. Yeah, like the Tuscan Raiders. Yes, yes. I know. Uh, I'm I'm currently hardcore rolling my eyes right now. I'm surprised I haven't stuck that way. I Anyways, can see my hair. This Tuscan, the wine Tuscan, uh, it is an intense ruby red in color. It has fruity hints on the nose, which blends well with the toasty chocolate and vanilla notes from aging in wood. A complex, harmonious, and well-structured wine with smooth tannins and persistent fruity hints. It is a drier red. It is definitely uh, a bolder red wine. It pairs very nicely with pasta at Olive Garden. Um, I You can find it in your local liquor store as well. Uh, it's a little more pricier than my usual bottle. It usually ranges between like fifteen to twenty dollars a bottle, depending on where you're where you're purchasing it from. But it's it's delicious. It's definitely a wine that you sip, not a wine that you chug. And if any of you out there have some wine recommendations for yours truly, let me know. I'd love to hear from you and drink the wine that you recommend. So hit me up on the Facebook page, the Throwdown Thursday podcast page, or my personal Facebook page, uh, if we're friends, um, on Twitter or Instagram or any of the other social media platforms that I'm on. Actually, I think that's it because I kind of detest social media. But anyways, um, hit me up and let me know. What do you recommend? What do you want me to try? Maybe I will feature it on my Vaughn Nightmare Vineyard section. Agent Nicole, what are up? you ready? I am ready for some spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good wine that'll pair with it. Yum. Bon Nicole. Change it, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> Patrick is the wacky waving inflatable arm playing two man. That's how I learned to dance. Act some good moves. Anyways, I am watching a new television show called Harlots. It's on Hulu. It just recently came out a few weeks ago. Um, It's a British period drama television show created by Alison Newman and Maura Luffy. Um, so I have a question, you guys. What is one of the longest or oldest professions in the world? Hooking. Constitution. Yes. Well, this show is all about that. It's literally what they call it, the world's oldest profession. Yep. The series focuses on Margaret Wells, who runs a brothel in the 18th century England and struggles to raise her daughters in a chaotic household. The series is inspired by the Covent Garden Ladies by Hallie Rubin Holt. And basically, it's Sopranos mixed in with some crazy women. Basically, it's two rival brothels going at it, and there's a lot of nudity, and it's sexy, and it's pretty badass because it's a lot of strong women, and that's all about it. And, um, nice. Yes. 
so you look, it's not so, for children to watch it. So I can't it watch it? <laughs> yeah, you can't watch it. So what it. you're saying is it's full of sex, drugs, and sexy drugs? No, just sex and... Um, sexy sex? And sexy sex. sex. Um, one of the reasons why I watched it, because there is an actress, Jessica Brown Finley, who was on Downton Abbey. If anybody's all about Downton Abbey, let me know. Um, she stars in the show, and it's really, really good. Um, it comes out every Wednesday. I watched the first episode recently. I think by the time this podcast is out, there will be three episodes. It's an hour long. It's on Hulu, and it's only eight episodes. So definitely take a look. Have fun. And I've heard really good things about it. It's really good. It's really you, good. You need to check it out. You, you don't need headphones. I couldn't hear what you were saying. Oh. I could hear what I was saying. Yeah, you're not listening through the headphones. You have to get closer to the microphone. No, you don't need the headphones on. on. You just need to be closer to the microphone. <laughs> I put the ears on. So that's going to just about wrap it up. Uh, I will say by the time this has aired, I will have gotten my Calvin and Hobbes tattoo. Yes. I'm getting a Calvin and Hobbes. It's when they pretended to be zombies. I'm getting that tattooed on my uh, right forearm just above my... Uh, Weird pumpkin. Not on your butt? No, I want to be able to show it off to everyone. Oh, okay. I mean, I so, could. So again, the question stands, not on your bum? Well, you know, I want to not get arrested. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I, I, so I, I do. Next week, <laughs> next week, we have a very special show. If you think I talked a lot before, oh my God. just wait. Because next week, we are going to be covering some minor characters from the hit TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And we will have some very special in-studio guests. My two younger brothers, because apparently my parents didn't learn the first time, Dan and <laughs> Dave, the second time. <laughs> will both be in, in studio, as well as the source of all the problems... I'm going to tell him you said that. My dad. <laughs> I'm going to tell him you called him that. So if anybody has an issue with anything that It's done, a Ray Hall family reunion. It pretty much is. There are going to be four and a half of us. God help us all. What do you mean a half? Four. Well, because you have half. You have my name partially. So sort of, kind of. Depends on the day. Yeah. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But yeah. So we'll be joined by... My brothers and my dad, who has said that he's not going, he's, he's like, I just want to come in and I want to see you guys do the show. I'll be quiet. And it's like, nope, you'll be getting a microphone. So he might not say much, but we are going to have him have him say something. I, I think there's going to be three people sharing a mic. Yeah. <laughs> That's the case. Whatever. <laughs> Dan and Dave can sit on my lap and uh, <laughs> we'll be all set. Um, but yeah, we'll be discussing uh, background characters from... Uh, not background, but minor characters from uh, from the hit show Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Hey, Ash, and just want to share a mic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can sit on my lap. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be pretty awesome because you'll get a glimpse into what life is like in reality for uh, Ash's. You can feel sorry for me. I'll bring Please some wine. Please send me wine. <laughs> I'll bring the wine. So that's next week's next week's show. And in a couple of weeks, we have a very special announcement to make. But I'm not going to get into anything more other than we have a very special announcement to make. So 
Stay keep tuned, it, kids. Keep it tuned right here to learn what's so special about the special announcement. And, and on, on that, note, that note, stop copying me in the future. <laughs> uh, we're going to go ahead and call it a night, and we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Let's go explore!